we just lift our hands this morning as we magnify your King. We magnify our King. Jesus, we worship. Jesus, we worship you, oh God. Yeah. How many are thankful for the presence of Almighty God this morning? Amen. Lord, we give everything to you this morning. We lift our hands, we lift our hearts, we lift our praises to you, Jesus. We put the world behind us today and we put what you did for us on the cross before us. We honor your presence, oh God. You bring life, you bring joy, you bring liberty and freedom. Lord, we worship, we thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was shed for us, oh God. Thank you, Lord, thank you.
morning, God. We worship the great I am. Come on, somebody just praise him this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, this morning, may we open our ears to hear, open our minds to understand, but more importantly, God, may we open our hearts to receive your word. In your name we pray, and everyone say, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, isn't the name of Jesus wonderful? Amen. Good morning. It's so good to see you here on this Resurrection Sunday. What a difference a year makes. This Sunday, I get to preach about the empty tomb. Last Sunday, or last year, I was preaching in an empty tomb. Nobody was here. I was just bizarre. Think about all of the things that have changed in the last decade, but particularly in the last 12 months. So as looking back over this past year, I think today we live in a world filled with hate, division, pain, and suffering more than at any time in my history on the earth. We're more divided as a nation than we have ever been. A canceled culture with violence and looting, name-calling and race-baiting, hate-spewing and hate-speech, mass shootings, religious intolerance, and unreasonable violence have become the order of the day. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus predicted this would happen in the last days. In talking about what to prepare for, Jesus said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, most, the love of most will grow cold. I think a Facebook meme captured it pretty well when it said, at this rate, they're going to have to cancel shampoo so that bald people don't get offended. 
not only do we live in an offense entitled culture, if you're not offended by something today, you don't have an identity. It's no longer what are we for or against, it's what are we offended by. And that's the badge that we wear. One political analyst made this observation, in an atmosphere of increasing negative polarization and geographic separation, we can no longer take our nation for granted. We must intentionally care for the state of our union. Competing sides do not trust that if they lose, they will still be free and secure in the land they love. That's where we live today. That's where the church needs to function. And that's where the resurrection message needs to be proclaimed. Contextually and in a relevant fashion that addresses the needs of the world that we're in. In 1962... 59 years ago, that's contemporary living, that's not ancient history. Some of you will remember a song that was written by Bob Dylan. Anybody remember Bob Dylan? Who said no? Didn't need to be that vocal, brother. Didn't need to be that vocal about it. He wrote a protest song called Blowing in the Wind. It asked a series of rhetorical questions about peace, war, and freedom. He said that the idea for the song came from an old slave song. He said he wrote it to talk about the frustration of black Americans at the time, and it became an anthem for the American Civil Rights Movement in the 60s. Now, this is how popular this song became. The Grammy Hall of Fame in 1994 inducted that song, and in 2004, Rolling Stones magazine listed it as number 14 of the top 500 songs in our history. Let me read to you some of the lyrics. Yes. And how many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? And how many ears must one man have before he can hear people cry? Yes, and how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. That refrain has generated a great deal of discussion over its meaning and has been described as impenetrably ambiguous. Either the answer to the need is so obvious that it's right in your face or the answer is as intangible as the wind itself. It means the answers have been found and lost again, blown out of our hands, and we're left chasing them time and time again. You must search to find them, and in short, the answers are only fleeting and will be lost again. So this morning, I want to declare to you that the answer to our world's need is not blowing in the wind. He was hanging on the cross. That message needs to be heard. Mankind has demonstrated that we do not have the answer for the hate in this world. Only God has the answer that our generation needs. And that old verse that gets quoted over and over again and shows up at sporting events is still true today. John 3.16 said that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul wrote it this way to the Romans. 
Romans, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And to the church in Ephesians, he said, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier. What does the message do? It destroys the barrier. It destroys the dividing wall of hostility. And I'm telling you that love reigns today in the church, that love needs to reign in this world, and that love reigns over death, hell, and the grave. And we need to communicate that to a lost and dying world. Is there anyone in the house this morning? When I was a freshman in college, I heard a song that marked me was our first Sunday night service and all of the instructors were asked to stand and begin to sing a song and are now asked to stand and give a testimony and one of the instructors, this rich baritone voice, stood up and a cappella, his testimony was the song, The Love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. And I want you to experience, I want you to feel that song and listen to that message as Pastor Tim and Pastor Nathan share with us the love of God.
my life growing up in church, I heard it said that Jesus reigns over death, hell, and the grave. And so I want to explain to you the journey we're going to go on this morning. We're going to explore that. What does it mean that Jesus and his love reigns over death, hell, and the grave? Now, please don't come to me afterwards and have a discussion with me about the theological differences between Hades, Hinnom, Gehenna, and the lake of fire. I'm not interested in that. I'm going to use the terms as we use them in common language so that we can see in Scripture how the love of God shown on the cross and proven by the resurrection answers all of the needs of this world that we live in. The love of God reigns over death. I want you to, in your mind and in scripture, if you want to turn there, to go to John chapter 11 to the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. And when Jesus received word that Lazarus was sick, he didn't immediately respond in the way the disciples expected him to. He waited for a few days. Now, when he was waiting, they wondered why he wouldn't move forward. And scripture makes it very clear to us. Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there so you may believe. You have to understand that this moment was not just an event in Scripture to show us resurrection power. It was an event in Scripture to teach us about the essence and power of believing. This wasn't about Lazarus dying and being risen from the dead. It was about the disciples coming to a place of faith. This is a faith-building moment. Death is the darkest of human experiences. We come to that moment and life is over. We gather around a casket and we say our final farewell. And people weep and they're sorrowful. And if there is any kind of relationship at all, their hearts are broken. And in that moment, the world needs an answer. And I'm telling you this morning that atheism doesn't have an answer for that dilemma. That the irreligious do not have an answer for that dilemma. This world system doesn't have an answer for that dilemma. And I will ask you to stand by the open grave of a loved one who has died and give me your rhetoric, give me your philosophy, give me mankind's answers, and it will all ring empty. There's only one answer that will suffice, that will sustain, that will meet that moment, and that's the answer of the love of God. We use the imagery of death for a number of other things. We talk about marriages that have died, relationships that have died, vision and dreams that have died, a future that has died, financial hope that has died, my security has died. And I believe in this moment that Jesus wants to declare at the grave of Lazarus that whatever has died in your life can be resurrected by the power of God, that death is not the final answer that Jesus and his love is the final answer. And I've got good news for you this morning. If your marriage is in trouble, it doesn't have to die. It just needs to meet the Jesus at Lazarus' tomb. If your finances are falling apart, you don't need to give up and just curl up and die. You can look to Jesus, who is the answer at Lazarus' 
tomb. He gathers uh, his disciples. They journey along the way. And the Bible tells us this. When he got to the place, Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. It's been a subject of much speculation as to why Jesus wept. Some would say that Jesus wept because Lazarus was dead. Well, let me ask you, if, if you are Jesus and you know that you're going to raise him from the dead, why would that cause you to weep? It caused me to chuckle a little bit and say, these people don't know what's going on. Someone else said, well, I think the reason that he wept was when he saw the unbelief of the crowd. The problem is that doesn't fit contextually. Why did Jesus weep? Look at what the scripture said. He saw the sisters weeping. He saw the crowd weeping. He heard their sorrow over the loss. And I'm convinced that he is touched with a feeling of our infirmity. And when we weep, he weeps. When we're broken, his heart is extended toward us. Don't ever think he doesn't care. The same Jesus that wept at the tomb of Lazarus has his arm around you this morning and will stand by you at that moment of your deepest Spare and say in the middle of your darkness, it's not over yet. I have more to say. I have another answer for this generation. Jesus showed his love by weeping over the primal pain of death. The Bible says that death is our enemy. 1 Corinthians 15 describes it as the final enemy that will be defeated. And Jesus is going to demonstrate that nothing about death is final. You need to hear me this morning. Whether it's physical death, relational death, financial death, vision of the future death, nothing about death is final as long as Jesus shows up at the sepulcher. And I wish I could have been there in that moment. I would love to know what Lazarus was experiencing. I think it's probably true. I know that it's true that he was in the presence of the Lord. He was in that place of paradise and fully conscious. Scripture makes that really clear. Well, let's think about it uh, just for a moment. Lazarus knows that he died. Lazarus knows that they put him in a tomb. He's in heaven. You have to know that something happened to get you there. And I imagine he's sitting around with some of the Old Testament saints and they're sharing some stories. Then all of a sudden, he hears something that nobody else can hear. He hears the voice of his Savior say, Lazarus, 
come forth. I imagine that moment he stood and said, sorry, boys, I don't get to stay this time around. I'm going back with a message that this world apparently needs to hear. I don't know what this is all about, but his spirit and soul entered into that broken body wrapped up in those grave clothes, and here he came waddling out of the tomb because when he said, Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus came out of the grave bound hand and foot, but very much alive. Someone said, why did he say Lazarus? Because if he had just said come forth, every dead body in that cemetery would have come out of the sepulcher. But it wasn't time for all them to come. It was a moment of need that the disciples might believe Lazarus come forth. And in the, in the moment where there is no answer, in the moment where it's the end of the story, Jesus writes another chapter of life, of joy, of deliverance as Lazarus raises from the dead. I'm telling you, his love reigns over death. Something in your life has died. The grave is not the final answer. Jesus is. His love reigns. We also believe that his love reigns over hell. Now again, this is a subject that gets a lot of controversy and I'm glad that you're here this morning so I can tell you the way it's supposed to be understood. <laughs> We're told that Jesus descended into hell. Scripture tells us that. It says Christ died for our sins once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body and made alive by the Spirit through whom he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Reiterated in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, he says, he ascended on high. He led captivity. I can't already stand it right now. I just know where I'm going. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Let me tell you what is not true. There's a teaching that has circulated for decades called the born again Jesus that tells us that Jesus had to descend into hell to feel the suffering of hell and atone for his own sins. And that's a heresy of the most demonic type. Jesus did not descend into hell as a captive. He descended into hell as a conqueror. He did not descend to pay for his own sins. He descended into hell to say to all of those in prison that he had paid the price for their sins. It was a message he declared. So what is it that scripture is talking about when it talks about hell and descending into hell? Well, briefly, in an understanding of what was happening in the end of life, prior to Jesus' death on the cross, mankind could not be in the immediate presence of the Father because atonement had not yet been provided. And Scripture makes it clear that the place of, that we would call Hades was a place of departed spirits. There was one compartment that was called paradise, 
It was a place called Abraham's bosom. We see the poor man ending up there in this place of paradise. A great gulf was between the two. And on the other side was the place of torment. And from there, you hear the rich man say, please let Lazarus put a drop of water on my tongue. Please let Lazarus go and talk to my family that they not come here. Two separate places with a great gulf in between. When Jesus died on the cross and the veil of the temple was rent in two, the blood of his sacrifice was put on the mercy seat and now all of those that were in paradise, all of those who were in paradise get to move from a place of blessing to a place of bliss. They're moving from a place of provision to the very presence of the Father. And those that had rejected God's redemptive plan for all of those years are going to hear that the plan is done and their doom is forever sealed. He went to the place of departed spirits and proclaimed the fulfillment of the sacrifice, the final doom of the lost and the liberation of those who live by faith. And he led a parade out of that place into the presence of the Father. How do you know that happened? Well, I was reading in Matthew and in that moment it says that the graves were opened and the dead were walking on the streets of Jerusalem and they're testifying that that the sacrifice was completed, that redemption was provided for, and they're on their way to the presence of God. They're testifying to those in Jerusalem that Jesus' message was true. In fact, I'm convinced that some of those in the upper room were there because they talked to somebody that got out of a grave in Jerusalem and believed the message that was proclaimed. Hell is not the final destination for those that are believers. Jesus us, preached to the captives and led captivity captive into the presence of the Father. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, the tombs broke open, and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people there preaching the message. What a Sunday that would have been in Jerusalem. These aren't zombies. These are resurrected and restored saints of the Most High God. He's saying that even hell is reigned over by his love. How does that apply to us today? I have to tell you that at the moment that Lazarus a dwelling place, the bosom of Abraham was moved in the presence of God. The psalmist tells us that hell enlarged itself. And that place now will one day be cast into the lake of fire. Death and hell will be cast into the lake of fire. But it is still today a place of punishment. Do you know that Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven? 
Do you know that hell is a very real place that isn't popular to talk about today? And if all you want is a TED Talk and a self-help text and a little bit of encouragement, how to get through and fix your toaster, you'll never hear this message. But if you want to hear the truth of the gospel, hell is still real. People are still going there and they don't have to go there because the love of God reigns over hell. He already went there and demonstrated that. And you don't have to die in your sin. You don't have to experience eternal torment because love reigns over that. If you'll simply admit your need of a Savior, believe that God raised him from the dead and confess him as Lord, you don't have to go there. I'm telling you this morning that love reigns over hell. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, don't let this resurrection Sunday pass without saying the Jesus that reigned over hell, that proclaimed over hell the redemption that God provides is offering it to you this morning. Don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. Don't push it aside because if you reject his redemptive provision, there is no hope for you. His love reigns over death. His love reigns over hell. But you and I have to choose. We have to choose how we will respond. It's not a message to be taken lightly. And I'm going to digress just for a moment. Someone needs to hear me right now. Easter, please don't get offended at me. Not that it matters a whole lot. Easter is not about a bunny, eggs, Easter egg hunts, and a big dinner. Easter is about a world damned to hell and a God who loved us enough to send his son who suffered among us and was nailed to a cross and came off of that cross and was put in a tomb and rose from the dead. And you can salve your conscience with holiday traditions or you can go to the moment of death and watch those suffering in hell and understand that his love reigns and you don't have to die in your sins. I'm not telling you to not have your traditions. I'm telling you don't hide behind them. Deal with the real issue of the holiday. His love reigns over hell. Third, (laughs) his love reigns over the grave. Now, how's that different than death and hell? Not a whole lot, but I want you to think about it this way that the grave is the human testimony to the best that man can do. So many advances in modern medicine, so many diseases that once killed people that now, that now people live for many years with a healthy, happy life. But with all of our extending of life, we still die. When you go to a cemetery, what does it say? 
death is real. It's a human testimony that we don't have the answer to the, the eternity of life. You stand there and you look born and died, born and died, born and died. How thick-headed does mankind have to be to ignore the reality of our temporal nature on this planet? Cemeteries all over the world say that death is real. And those tombstones and headstones and sepulchers and crypts and vaults all tell us that we can't solve. Mankind has two issues that they will never be able to resolve. The origin of life and the ending of life. And you don't have much control over what happens in between those. We can't recreate it and we can't extend it. It's in the hand of God. They nailed Jesus to a cross. And I want you to feel just for a moment this morning how intense that moment was. However you describe it and whatever you believe about where the nails went, it was the most torturous form of death mankind had ever invented because you are suffocating and dying while hanging there on a cross. And there was a, there was a horn on the cross that would keep you from, from taking pressure off your hands and feet to make sure you were still hanging there under your strength. That rigor mortis set in while the body was still alive. It was an excruciating way to die. And they watched him there as he suffered in front of them, as he died in front of them. And then a moment came where they ran a spear into his side. Why did they run the spear into his side? To prove that he was dead. To to make sure that it was documented that there was no life. And it was for their convenience that they not have to go any longer and wait for them to die. Let's get them off of the cross. He's hanging there dying. He cries out, it is finished. He gave up the ghost and they ran a spear into his side, proving that he was dead. Death is the final enemy. Hell is the place of final punishment, and the grave is a physical testimony of the brokenness of mankind. Then they had a discussion. I love this. I love this. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, who? That deceiver said, Jesus, after three days I will rise again. This is where you need a little bit of drum roll starting to have a little timpani. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. <laughs> Isn't this good stuff? You say, well, I've heard this story before. Oh, I'm hearing it for the first time right now. I'm hearing it for the first time. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard. Think about mankind. Take a guard. Go make the tomb as secure as you know how. <laughs> so they went and made the tomb secure. 
by putting a seal of the Roman government on that stone. Oh, I bet God looked down and said, I wasn't expecting that obstacle. <laughs> All hell is rejoicing because he's dead. They did not believe he would rise from the dead. The Bible tells us had they known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory. All of hell says we've got him and he's dead. All of mankind put him in a tomb, rolled the stone, set the seal of Rome on it, set guards by the stone and said he is not coming out. Satan made the tomb as secure as he possibly could. Graves testify that all is not right in this world. And there are times that graves challenge and mock our faith. I don't want to belabor it, but I remember standing as my wife and I stood by the open grave of our son and thought, is anything that I believe real? It certainly didn't pay off, did it? I preached divine healing. It didn't work. I, I preached God's blessing and prosperity, and it didn't work. You walk into a cemetery, and if you're not careful, the gravestones will mock you. They will rise up out of your past, and they will haunt you. And in moments when you're weak and tired, they will tell you that it's all a lie. Satan has sealed the tomb. Mankind has sealed the tomb. Jesus is dead on the inside of the tomb. But, but, I said, but, Luke chapter 24 tells us when the woman, women came to the tomb expecting a dead body, expecting to attend to the body of Jesus, expecting a stone to be in the way, not having any idea how they would get in, but honoring the culture of the day. But when the women came with their spices ready to serve, they found the stone already was rolled away. It was rolled away what hell had put all of its hordes together to do what mankind had brought all of its force to do Jesus said I will rise on the third day and the angel rolled the stone away not to let Jesus out but to let the disciples in and see that his body wasn't there and over the years of history had there been a body to be found, they'd have found it. Had it been a deception, somebody would have caved in. But I'm telling you that his body has never been found, that no one has ever caved. Why? Because he is risen. Hallelujah. I said he is risen. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Have you ever been in that place? Even though they believed he was dead, <laughs> something in them caused them to still want to look 
for Jesus. Oh, hear me this morning. Whatever challenge you face, wherever you've been, you may have given up and sealed the stone and said it's not real and it's not for me. Would you stop talking for a minute? Would you stop arguing for a minute? Would you quit hiding for a minute and just listen to your own heart? Is there a spark? Is there even a spark that just maybe you want to try to find him? That is the voice of God. That is the wind of the spirit. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you believe he's dead and still behind the stone. But these women experienced the resurrection because they came to see Jesus. The angel said, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He, <laughs> who? He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. In the place that testifies to the hopeless end of mankind. Jesus left an empty tomb with only his grave clothes left behind. It is at the empty tomb that the greatness of the love of God is on display. In a broken, angry, dysfunctional, self-destroying culture, what message do we have? You can't fight fire with fire. We can stand and say, We've discovered, we've discovered a place where love reigns. We've discovered a place where love reigns. Where is that? It's at the empty tomb. Bring your offenses, bring your brokenness, bring your suffering and pain, and you will see the love of God at the empty tomb. Pastor Nathan, if you would come, please. On this Resurrection Sunday, the good news is love reigns. Over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what that means. What does it mean that love reigns? It means that not only does love reign over death, hell, and the grave, it means that love reigns over your past, your present, and your future. But this morning on this Resurrection Sunday, all of this is for naught if you don't have a personal relationship with the one who loves you more than you'd ever begin to understand. So with head bowed and eyes closed, this is what it's all about. If you've not made a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or you've let it drift or it's grown cold, is there a spark? Is there a little flicker of hope that's still there? Those of you that are watching online, I'm talking to you right now as well. Is there a little flicker of hope that's still there in the chapel here in the main auditorium? Is there a flicker of hope? Would you come with me? Would you come with me to the tomb? And we'll discover together 
the place where love reigns, the resurrected Lord of glory. Again, with no one looking around, if you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you simply slip up your hands so we can pray for you? I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to have you sign up for anything. just want to pray for you real quickly this morning. Anyone? Yes, thank you. Is there anyone else this morning? I need Jesus in my life. In the balcony on the main floor. I need Jesus in my life. I want to experience this unbelievable love of God. Would everyone pray this prayer with me out loud? Dear Lord Jesus, I admit my need for a Savior. I have failed you and can't make it work in my own strength. I'm asking for your forgiveness and newness of life. I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that you rose from the dead so that I would have newness of life. And I trust you as my Lord and Savior. I give you my life and I receive your love. And I promise to serve you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, here's what's happened. New life has been birthed inside you. Whether you raise your hand or not, you have to attend that. But could we stand for a moment on this Resurrection Sunday and just end with a moment of giving thanks to God? Aren't you glad to know that in a broken, ridiculous world where we wear our offense like a badge of honor, that we don't have to fight back with the same vile, putrid mindsets? We've experienced love. <laughs> Somebody help me this morning. Let's be the love of God to a lost, broken world. How great the chasm that lay between
live your life bound by death, hell, and the grave. Or you can live your life where love reigns. And that's at the empty tomb. The greeting on Sunday is, I will say he is risen, and you say he is risen indeed. Are you ready? He is risen! Now for the main message. You think I'm kidding? <laughs> you can be seated just.